Let's pray. Holy One, through your Holy Spirit, instruct us by the light of your prophets. Illumine our hearts that we may hear your call to become your path into the world. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Our first reading this morning is from the book of Malachi, chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. Look, I am sending my messenger who will clear the path before me. Suddenly the Lord whom you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant in whom you take delight is coming, says the Lord of heavenly forces. Who can endure the day of his coming? Who can withstand his appearance? He is like the refiner's fire or the cleanser's soap. He will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. They will belong to the Lord presenting a righteous offering. The offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in ancient days and in former years. Our second reading this morning is from the book of Isaiah, chapter 60 verses 1 through 3 and 18 through 22. Arise, shine, your light has come. The Lord's glory has shone upon you. Through, though darkness covers the earth and gloom the nations, the Lord will shine upon you. God's glory will appear over you. Nations will come to your light and kings to your drawing radiance. Violence will no longer resound throughout your land, nor devastation, nor destruction within your borders. You will call your walls salvation and your gates praise. The sun will no longer be your light by day, nor will the moon shine for illumination by night. The Lord will be your everlasting light, and your God will be your glory. Your sun will no longer set your moon will no longer wane. The Lord will be an everlasting light for you, and your days of mourning will be ended. Your people will be all righteous. They will possess the land forever. They are the shoot that I planted, the work of my hands to glorify myself. The least will become a thousand, and the smallest of powerful people. I am the Lord. At the right moment, I will hurry it along. Our gospel reading is from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. In the 15th year of the rule of the emperor Tiberius, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea and Herod was ruler over Galilee, his brother Philip was ruler over Iteria and Trachonotus, and Lysandria was ruler over Abilene. During the high priesthood of Ananias and Caiaphas, God's word came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. John went throughout the region of the Jordan River, calling for people to be baptized to show that they were changing their hearts and lives and wanted God to forgive their sins. This is just as it is in the scroll, the words of Isaiah the prophet a voice crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make his path straight. 
Every valley will be filled, and every mountain and hill will be leveled. The crooked will be made straight, and the rough places made smooth. All humanity will see God's salvation. The word of God for the people of God. Have you ever experienced silence? What's the quietest it's ever been? Maybe a late night walk somewhere when it's still. It doesn't happen at my house. There is no silence. Some days, some days, I just want a little bit of quiet. But if we experience too much silence, strange things happen in our brains. In fact, if you... They've done studies, and if you put people in sensory deprivation, they will start hallucinating because their brain needs something to do. And people see visual hallucinations when silence is so strong. You start to notice little things like the beating of your heart, the movement of your muscles. You start hearing things that you don't normally hear. And people find it really unsettling. They don't like it. We tend to not like a lot of silence, maybe for short periods of time. But after a while, we need some stimulation. Have you ever experienced God's silence? Can you think to a time in your life that you just kind of felt like God, stop talking. I can think of a couple times in my life like that, that it just didn't seem to matter what I did or how much I pleaded, but God remained silent. The people of Israel knew God's silence. When we come to this scene at the Jordan River, God had been silent for more than 400 years. There had been no prophets. There had been no voices crying out, calling the people to repent. God had been silent. In that time, there had been two revolutions trying to kick the Romans out. But it only made things worse. The people were antsy to hear God speak. There were all these promises made. Promises about the land and their place in the land that had not happened. Their king was gone. The throne was gone. They weren't ruling themselves. They were under the thumb of oppression. And all the while, God was silent. God wasn't really silent. Things were happening. Pieces were being put into place so that one day someone kind of crazy looking hair and wearing a sackcloth shows up in the wilderness eating locusts and wild honey 
and calling for the people to repent and prepare the way of the Lord. God started to speak again, and the people recognized it right away. They'd been waiting forever, and here John shows up, fitting the bill of a prophet of the Old Testament, and the people come in droves to be baptized and to repent of their sin. Prepare the way. It's going to happen. All of these promises that were given will be fulfilled, and now is the beginning of it. The excitement would only build from there. The people would continue to come from all stretches of the world. Jews spread out would come for festivals to the temple and would hear about these new prophets. And the excitement would continue to build and build. To our modern eyes, as we read this story, it might not make much sense. But to the people who heard it, it is what they were waiting for. But much like when we have expectations of anything, it doesn't always live up to what we were hoping for. For as excited as the people got, they also got more and more anxious as to when these events were finally going to happen. When will the king be restored? When will the oppressors be driven out? Why was it taking so long? From the point of John coming onto the scene, it was still another three and a half years. Through Jesus' ministry to his death, and the people got impatient. John came with a message. Repent, prepare yourself for one who is to come. John would say, one whom I am not even worthy enough to carry his sandals. One who would baptize with the Holy Spirit instead of water. One who would be called the Prince of Peace, Emmanuel, God with us. You see, all of the promises that God had made throughout the Old Testament pointed to an earthly king rising up in the family of David in the same line and reclaiming that throne. That's what the people had expected. It's what they had hoped for. But real fast in the story of Jesus' birth and the opening of Jesus' ministry, we see that God has other plans. But most people wouldn't hear that. Most people couldn't imagine anything different, any other way for these things to happen. And they became disillusioned and angry. And they missed it. They missed what took place. They missed the fulfillment of all of those promises. We're not so dissimilar from those people who heard these things, who heard 
John speak, who heard Jesus speak and became disillusioned and angry because it didn't fit what we wanted. It wasn't in our plan. There are times in my life where I got impatient, waiting for God to speak, waiting to feel any sense of God's presence. And looking back and seeing those periods of time and recognizing that in my own impatience, I missed the little things, the subtle voice, the quiet whispers. It would be very convenient if God, like the kids standing up on the steps, would be loud messengers. That would be a lot more convenient to me that I couldn't miss it, that God was so loud and in my face that there's no way to avoid it. That's not how God has worked in this world. It's not how I've experienced God. God seems to move in subtle ways and in quiet places, slowly, meticulously, very patiently. Not worried about my timeline, which is very inconvenient, of God. Not worrying about my expectations or fulfilling them. Not worrying about disappointing me when it doesn't meet my image. You see, God wasn't thinking in a limited way of an earthly kingdom in one small place and time in this world. God was thinking of the whole world and all people. All people in that time and all people who were to come to experience a new creation. To experience peace and joy and hope and love, forgiveness and mercy. And to embody those things internally and to live them out day after day, regardless of what is going on in our world. As we prepare, as we prepare ourselves, as we prepare the way, as we serve as messengers for the coming of the Anointed One, as we take that role We are to carry the mantle of hope and peace and joy and love and to set aside our expectations and to wait for God and to look for God moving and to listen for God speaking to teach repentance, forgiveness, all of the things John did, all of the things Jesus did in his ministry. And to trust that God is there in the midst of it. That God is unfolding a future even when we can't see it or understand it. That God is still creating and never stopped creating. Because the Advent story is about creation. It's that God never stopped creating. God didn't work for a week and then stop and walk away. God has always been there, moving among the people, working. In this Advent season, 
Let us look for the signs of God's creation, God's new creation. The small acts of kindness, the compassion from one person to another, the patience and love and forgiveness. Let us look for those gifts of this season and offer them to others so that we too might be prepared and prepare others for what is to come. 